On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Steve Boston. You're here on My Turning Point. And this week, really powerful conversation with my longtime friend, Dave Navarro. I've known Dave for 20-something years. Great dude. And in this conversation, he really opens up about mental health issues, his own struggles, how his art is going towards helping people, and making people more comfortable to talk about these issues that everybody deals with. So really hope you enjoy this one and get as much out of this conversation as we did. I really appreciate Dave's candor and honesty, as always is the case with him. How's it going? I'm good. Who's Adam Chavez? That is my producer. Nice to see you. He was on the call last time, too. Were you? I know. Last time I only had you and me, Steve. Really? I think so. Maybe it was just the way I set up my, you know, my skull. I probably, I think I had it set to whoever's talking. And since Adam didn't say anything, he didn't pop up. So, yeah, tell me about dual diagnosis. And, you know, it's funny because we've already talked about the art background now. And, yeah. and you know, uh, reading up on it and everything. So, you know, this started, so funny. I was actually interviewing Mark Ronson this morning, right? Um, yeah. We were talking about his podcast that he's doing and how all of these creative endeavors tie in. And yeah. we talked about this last time, but, you know, dual diagnosis is a little different than what we discussed last time, because this is something that you actually helped found versus, you know, the NFT thing. So tell me about, you know, this and, and what it is and, and what sort of the inspiration for it was. Well, dual diagnosis, and it's spelled D-U-E-L diagnosis. Uh, it's me and my partner, Padilla, who is another L.A. artist, uh, really talented, amazing artist who goes by the name unfuck yourself. So if you're searching her on Instagram, it's unfuck U N F U K <laughs> yourself. And uh, her art is amazing. And she and I are friends and dual diagnosis started really as kind of just a conversation that she and I had because both, both Padilla and I struggle from mental health issues and we have our whole lives. And this was a couple of years ago when I was in New York and we started talking about, the stigma that's around people who suffer from mental health issues and, and trying to dissolve that stigma. And the whole thing really started with us saying, oh, we should make a T-shirt that says whatever it says, right? Everybody's got something. There's no reason to be afraid of it or ashamed of it. There are ways to work through it. And we kind of wanted to dissolve that stigma. And what started as a conversation ended up becoming a complete apparel line and fine art and street installations and and frankly uh you know uh we'll, we will do installations at art shows for instance so uh where we will display the fine art but i would say more than the apparel or the art or the installations or the street art we are more a movement that's telling people that shame has never saved anyone and 
as soon as you can make peace with that and let go of the shame, your chances for healing are much greater. And we also have a little bit of a sense of humor about it. You know what I mean? Like, let's face it, most of my favorite artists had mental health issues. I don't, you know, it's like <laughs> Vincent van Gogh would have been put away if he was alive today. You know what I mean? Like, you know, he was a self-harmer. That's a massive red flag. You know what I mean? But he also created a body of work that changed the world. So we're trying to say that, yes, many of us suffer from these maladies of the mind, but that does not mean that you can't find what works for you and have a joyous life. So that's really what the project's about. Well, and it's interesting too, talk about for you that have, having this outlet that focuses solely on this and the mental health issues and, you know, relieving the stigma. I'm sure it's also both incredibly cathartic and it's also like, look, from a writing standpoint, I talk about this with people all the time, right? Writing is very much a journey of discovery. The best writing is subconscious. So mm-hmm. I'm sure for you, having an art line that focuses solely on this allow is actually an incredible release. And have you found that, you know, as you've done it, that to be the case? Yeah, I feel I feel fortunate because I've always turned to the arts, whether it's visual art, music, filmmaking, whatever it is, you know, something creative as my, as my cathartic method or my, my escape, whatever, however you want to put it. Um, but in a strange way, this project, the dual diagnosis project, and we have a website uh, if anybody wants to read our, our manifesto, because that's, that's really like what we stand for. It's, it's a beautifully written thing written by my partner, Padilla. And it's, it's on the website, which is dualdiagnosis.com, D-U-E-L diagnosis.com. Kind of a play on words because there's two of us and our logo is a Rorschach test. Uh, you know, the inkblot tests. Yeah. But I'm looking it, at it right now. Yeah. It either makes some people see a butterfly and a moth and some people see two guns, which is where you would get the dual. But, um, and, and the, and the answer is there is no right answer. The ironic thing is that when they were doing Rorschach tests as a, as a a psychiatric tool, they would tell the, the, the client that there was no wrong answer, but if they said something fucked up, they'd be locked (laughs) away. So there was a, there was a wrong answer. You know what I mean? Like, um, so we, we, we kind of play with the tools of early psychiatry. We play with text we play, but we like to have a sense of humor about it because ultimately we know that a lot of what we're carrying around emotionally and mentally and all of these maladies that we may have are ultimately going to dissolve when we pass on anyway. So they really don't matter in in the long run. And so we kind of want to share the message that feeling shame about having... uh, you know, difficulties in certain areas is just not going to serve you. It's just going to make you feel bad. And as soon as you can just own who you are and celebrate it as like, fuck yeah, I've had some really hard times and I've lived through it. And it's, you know, it's almost a badge of honor as opposed to something that should be frowned upon by society. I mean, there are survivors out there and a lot of survivors out there are having a really, really hard time with surviving, you know? And, and the fact is that, uh, that's normal. I mean, you know, whether it's someone who had an abusive childhood or someone who lost a parent in a really traumatic way, or if it's uh, a, mem- a member of the armed forces coming back from combat, trauma 
embeds itself into the body on a physiological level and your body holds all that anguish and pain into its physical musculature and and it, it causes mental and physical suffering. And so we wanted to create a movement that kind of, I don't want to say normalized, but that, that kind of takes it with a grain of salt as being part of the human condition and that everybody has a degree of something or other, especially after the last year we've just had, which probably was one of the most globally traumatic years that I can think of in my lifetime. You know, uh, there were suicide rates were up, drug overdoses were up, uh, you know, people really lost uh, a lot of themselves over the past year. So, and actually, ironically, it is Mental Health Awareness Month as we talk about this. So I appreciate you having a chance to talk to me about it. But we really, go ahead. Oh, no. I was, I mean, it's interesting because I was going to say it's also, you know, I think this is one of the great things. And it goes back to, I've talked about this with everyone from Alice Cooper to Mark Ronson this morning and the idea of using your fame. And you and I have talked about this for good. So it's talk about the importance then for you, who has a name brand, who has recognition, who people know to be public about this. And, you know, I remember a few years ago too, when Kevin Love from the Cleveland Cavaliers, you know, wrote an essay about it. And in sports, it's even more of a stigma than it is in music. So, I mean, you know, talk about the importance of opening this stuff up to the public. So people who are struggling realize that, you know what, everybody deals with it. It's not something to be ashamed of. I mean, that's the goal. The goal is that we're telling people who are interested that, you know, you can choose to live in fear and shame about whatever's going on with you, or you can drop that and realize that you're a member of a massive club that's, that's across the planet. I mean, the amount of people that deal with hardships and mental health and emotional struggles is it, the numbers are so much greater than we have documented, you know, and to kind of make it kind of turn flip the script on it and, and say, you're actually kind of in the cool kids club. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, like don't feel so bad about what's going on with you because you are among the ranks of a lot of really cool people that struggle just as much as you and maybe even more. And especially if you look at some of the artists that I've grown up and loved music and, and visual and filmmaking. I mean, typically a lot of creatives uh, have some stuff that they're trying to work through. And so we wanted to kind of create a movement. And so the reason it's, it's street art and installations and apparel and stuff is that, you know, if you want to buy a t-shirt, that's cool, but you don't really have to buy anything to be a part of this. And that's really, that's really what we're coming, where we're coming from. You know, it's more of an awareness and an attitude and a, uh, a way of saying that, you're going to be okay. This is okay. Like this is part of being human. You know, it's, you're not somebody with, you know, we're not just pathologizing people and slapping labels on them, you know, is that there's real work to be done here. And I think a lot of it really starts at lifting the shame that's around a lot of the stuff, because what happens when people are in shame is that they don't talk to people. They don't reach out for help. They bottle it up inside and they end up driving themselves crazy or killing themselves. 
And that's just because of fear of what others might think. Well, the fact of the matter is that it doesn't matter what other people think, you know, it matters how comfortable with yourself you are. So that's really what we're trying to do with this, I guess I would say project, this movement. I mean, it started as an apparel line that it went in, expanded into the arts. And now we are just this, strange little company that just kind of does and makes whatever we think of and want to um, whether it's art or clothing or just something to drive by and look at um, as a reminder that, you know, don't worry. Other members of your club are right here. And so I think it is important to do in terms of you asked to bring using my visibility to, to bring some light on this. I think, I think it's important for people to, you know, so if there's a kid in the middle of nowhere struggling and feels alone, if he knows that people who seemingly have it all are also struggling, that maybe, okay, well, there is no finish line. There is no level of success. There is no money. There is no person or girlfriend or anything that's going to fix how you're feeling. It's an inside job. And so uh, if you're willing to do the work, it, it can, you can really gain some freedom, but even still just saying that you're not alone and that it's okay to reach out for help. In fact, it's imperative to reach out for help is really, if, if I can get that message across, then everything else is, uh, is, is just kind of a gift on top of it, you know? Now we will only be on for a few more minutes, but take me through the line a little bit now. Cause I've gone through the, the, you know, while we were on, I went through all the different things you know, on the, on the shop thing. And, um, you know, is most of the stuff done by you and Padilla or do you bring in other artists for it or how does it No, work? no, everything is done by Padilla and I, and, okay. uh, that's, that's, that's our art. That's our line. Um, everything, every written word on there is us. Uh, Padilla does most of the writing cause she's also an author. And so she's, uh, we, we, it's fun. I like, I love our system. You know, what, what starts is like, back and forth ideas that we just throw around, we ultimately build something out of, whether it's text, whether it's a, uh, uh, an art piece, whether it's a painting, whether it's the line. But the line right now is we, uh, we have a couple of different t-shirts. We have some handmade jackets. We have stickers. We have posters. We have fine art that's expensive. We have cheap posters that are affordable. You can buy something that's 10 grand. You can buy something that's 20 bucks. Like this isn't, this isn't, we're not saying we have the answer. And if you buy something expensive, we'll give it to you. <laughs> we're, we're saying, here's how we feel. And that's free. And also if you want to buy something, you can, but the manifesto on the site is really the message. And that's totally free. And that's, that's the part that I want to get out the most, you know, like I'm not really, I'm not, we're not, trying to start a fashion line we're really trying to open up a larger conversation well i was going to say to you i love that as well and talk about the importance of making it you know for everyone so you have the fine art you have all that i mean these prints are awesome i'm just looking at these now but so it's like stuff that you know so again for a kid who is like you say in the middle of nowhere feels like they can be a part of it and it's you know it's an interesting thing that exists in this world how much people feel like you know they want to and it's funny though because i say this and i'm thinking about it it goes back to you and i being kids and having a peachy folder and writing the names of our favorite bands on there there's always been this thing of you want that thing that shows who you are yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And I think that by owning it and wearing who you are, whether it's through, uh, you know, a, a piece of apparel or art or just being like aligned with a movement that says it's okay. Like in a strange way, like if you can do that, then you can get through anything, you know? And I was recently speaking at a, uh, at a, uh, a, 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 you know, a mental health and addiction facility. I, I was, you know, I was taking part on a panel and I was asked what got me into mental health advocacy. And the answer that I gave was that because I'm fucking crazy and I've been crazy my whole fucking life and I'm not going to let it run my life. I'm just going to acknowledge it and note it and be aware of it and then hopefully change my perspective from there with, of course, outside work. I mean, it's not, it's not just a decision you make, you know, it's, it's a, it's a process, you know, there's, and, and, and the other thing is we don't have any, uh, agenda in terms of whether someone sees a therapist or a psychiatrist or does some kind of outside healing work or spiritual work. We don't have any agenda like that. Like we're not, we don't push solution on people. What we do is we say, here's what we know and here's where we're at it with it and we can share it. So a lot of times uh, the dual diagnosis website or the Instagram, we will receive emails from people asking what to do about X, Y, Z. And, and you would imagine if you create something in this space, in the mental health space, people come and look for answers. And, you know, I, I sadly, you know, I have to tell them like, look, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm none of those things. I'm just another one of us that has gone through some hard times. And so anything that we know, we share, you know, that we, I don't have, we don't have some hidden secret to unlock the key to freedom because that you have to find yourself. But, um, and so we just don't, we don't have any solution oriented agendas because everybody is different. But the one thing that we can relate with was having the incredible amounts of sadness and shame and isolation and, uh, and how we choose to get through it. And, and one of the ways we choose to get through it is to take the things that have, uh, that have had a hard uh, impact on our lives for many, many years and take those very same things and turn them into fucking art and say, this shit isn't going to live in me anymore. I'm putting it out. You know what I mean? And it, it is cathartic and it is, and it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And I think the response we've had from some, some of our, uh, I, I, I would say members at this point, because it is kind of a club, it has just been just so amazing and, and just reading what, how, how grateful many people are to see uh, a movement that makes them, helps them, helps them feel less alone, you know, and in a weird way, maybe a little cooler even, you know, because it's like, I mean, it's just like, I just think it's a perspective shift. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and it, and it really, and once, once you get down the road of recovery, you're, it gives you so much opportunity for your life to open up and blossom in ways that you never would have imagined, you know? And in a strange way, if someone asks, like say someone's wearing a t-shirt of ours and someone else asks, where did you get that? What does that mean? And then it starts a conversation. So even, 
for those who it, aren't impacted by mental health issues, it, it keeps the conversation going in terms of hopefully dissolving the stigma around it and like, whoa, better not invite so-and-so to the party because they're <laughs> fucking crazy. Like, you know, like we don't have to, we don't have to think like that anymore. You know, I think that, uh, the world is ready for global healing. You know, we've, we were all just put through the ringer, you know, and, um, and sadly I lost a lot of people over the past year. Suicides and drug overdoses were up. Uh, the influx of fentanyl into this country that's now being crushed up and put into every, you know, because the dealers now have, uh, they compress their own pills. So they have molds in the shape of Xanax, molds in the shape of Oxycontin, molds in the shape of Vicodin and Norco and, and, uh, Percocet. And then they can, they use the fentanyl to make pressed pills. So even a kid on the street who buys a handful of pills from the dealer, gets a handful of them and they look like they came from the doctor or the pharmacy. They didn't. They were made in somebody's garage and the chances of them having fentanyl in there and having a little too much are very, very high and people are dying from that. It's crazy. I mean, yeah, I don't really know what to say to that. Cause I like, it's, I have no answer to that either. It's, I mean, it's just where, where, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. It's, it's, it's horrible. I mean, the, the, and, and the way I, the way I try and describe it to people is like, you're talking about, illegal amounts of really strong fentanyl coming into the country and then not pharmacists, not doctors, but dealers mixing that into the batch of what they're going to press. And if you think a cake batter and you're mixing a cake batter, unless you get that thing all the way perfect at the bottom of the bowl, there's going to be a little remnants of granules that didn't get mixed in or whatever. That's what happens. Well, those little compacted areas of granules that didn't get mixed in could end up in a single pill, which could kill somebody. So it's a very, very dangerous thing. And they're also putting it in straight up in heroin. They're even putting it in cocaine. So even straight up street drugs, everything from street drugs to things that look like they came from the pharmacy right now carry the deadliest opioid known to man. And, uh, it's, 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 it's horrific because, and it's almost interesting because like in a strange way and not to get onto the pharmaceutical companies, because that is a whole other conversation unto itself, but what ends up happening is, is like the, the, I guess what I would call the chain of trauma gets put into effect where someone is dealing with trauma or pain or fear and they're on, you know, they're uh, not seeing a therapist. So they're not working on those issues. They turn to drugs, they get a hold of something bad, they die. Now they have an entire family of traumatized people that now need to go seek their own help. You know what I mean? So in a strange way, when the pharmaceutical companies research all the pharmacies in an area and figure out who's buying what, because they do that, they know exactly what areas are selling the most Oxycontin, what areas are selling the most Vicodin, what areas are selling the most Percocet. And when they find an area that isn't pushing product the way that it is, say, in New York or L.A., they send reps to doctor's offices to push those products. So what they're really doing is they're pushing addiction, which ultimately creates 
an, an entire new potential of people to get strung out on their very drugs. Because if something happens to a kid taking uh, fentanyl or Oxycontin or whatever, now that's going to traumatize the rest of his family and the chances of them ne needing medication are even greater. So it's the one company, it's the one business where in a death could create even more clients, which is just fucking crazy to me. So we're trying to like shed some light on that and, and, and raise awareness really. And, and most importantly, have a good time doing it. You know, oh, yeah, because so. okay. right? I was just going to say, because this kind of work doesn't have to be, we don't want to be the serious, you know, like, you know, psychological, uh, psych psychiatric coming from that place of like, what you need to do is this. What we're saying is let's just fucking accept who we are and, and move forward the best we can. And it's totally okay. You know, so my, it, and, and I have spent a lot of years, you know, as you know, feeling, uh, a lot, I've dealt with a lot of trauma in my life. And, you know, whether it was my mom's death, whether it was my drug addiction that I used to mask the pain from that, whether it was ch early childhood stuff that is in the body that I'm not even aware of because I don't have the memory of it, but my body remembers it, that can turn manifest itself into a physical feeling that is very uncomfortable and is threatening and, uh, and just ignites the amygdala, which is the fear center of the brain, to just spin around. So half of our, most of our problems are just right in here, you know, because the fact is I'm just sitting here talking to Steve and nothing else is going on. But with the brain that I have, I could sit here and spin out and decide Steve thinks I'm talking too long. Steve thinks I'm crazy. Steve <laughs> thinks this. like none of that is going to serve me. So it's like, okay, D eject brain put over here and continue because a lot of times in the mental health world, our brains are our worst enemies and the thoughts that we have are there to harm us and nothing else. And they're not based in truth or reality. Yeah, no question. Well, it's interesting going back to what we were saying about the uh, addiction and prescriptions and stuff. You know, I always look at George Clinton, who, of course, is one of the great, you know, wordsmiths of all time. He yeah. gave me the best headline in the history of the world, man. He, we were doing a Forbes interview and he talked about it and, you know, the prescription addiction. And he was talking about, he described it as America, one nation under sedation. And I'm like, in that one line, you just described, you know, everything that is going on. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, but it's interesting for you. I like how you said, we'll wrap up on this too, but the importance of making it fun, because look, I look at this for every, I've been to what? thousands and thousands of benefits as you've played thousands of benefits. Mm, and mm -hmm. the reality is, is that what makes a successful benefit is when the message is mixed with fun is when people yes. feel like they're not being preached to. Yes. So talk about the importance of that with dual diagnosis of, you know, and this comes back to above ground as well. And what we talked about with above ground and making sure when again, because if you have you know, Courtney Love and you and Billy and all these people up on stage playing these songs, you may be talking about mental health, but at the same time, people are rocking their asses off and having yeah. fun. Yeah. And, and, and really like the best thing about that, like you said, not coming from a place of authority or telling people what to do. Like I like to live by example and say, yeah, I suffer from a lot of stuff, you know, and I, I have my own bouts with, with depression and, and anxiety and, and mental health stuff, as a lot of my friends do, a lot of my artist friends, musician friends, we all have something, you know what I mean? But instead of saying, 
from a microphone, you need to do this and you need to do that because nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to be preached to. We say, we have this thing and here's what we do. And we're having a fucking blast and we're helping people in the process. So when you bring up something like above ground, like to me, those are my, and, and for those of uh, your readers or listeners, I don't know how this is going out, but both. Um, okay. So, so for those of you who don't know, uh, Billy Morrison, my partner and I do a annual show, or at least it was annual until COVID. We're going to bring it back uh, called above ground, which is all the funding, all the funds that we raise at that concert goes to music cares and it helps people get into checked into facilities to get on the ground treatment into a bed, into a facility, get the kind of support that they need. So we've raised a lot of money for Music Cares through those things. But really, those shows have always been the most rewarding to me because, number one, I don't have, an, I don't have a vested interest in terms of getting paid because I'm not. In fact, I'm probably, <laughs> lose, probably losing money. I, I, get to, I get to play creatively and have fun with, with a multitude of my friends and even the other entertainers that I enjoy that I may not know so well, but I want to play with them. And all this stuff comes together um, and we get to do something that none of us have done because what we do is we play full albums. So we play... Uh, all of Ziggy Stardust and the Spider from Mars. We play all of the Velvet Underground and Nico. We play all of uh, the first Stooges record. Uh, we played all Adam and the Ants, Kings of Well Frontier, the whole album. And so it's, it's, it's a nice challenge musically, and it's a great show. But more important than that, we're having fun, and we're raising funds to help people who are struggling. And so hopefully others who struggle can see that and go, all right, so it's not impossible to be able to do fun stuff and get well and have a great time doing it. You know, I think, I, I think that a lot of people um, don't receive help because they're afraid of what might come up. You know, they're afraid of, of sitting down and articulating what's going on with them. But, you know, if you're in the right environment with the right people, that's cognitive, uh, Therapy is monumentally helpful. And I, you know, as, as someone who's an advocate, I, I don't tell people what to do, but I'm happy to share what I do, you know, and that is one of the greatest things in my toolbox is having a safe environment with a therapist that I can really just unload everything and, and feel safe and grounded and, and uh, hopefully shift my perspective. Our last thing, but this is, I mean, this, this topic, like I was torn between topic and conversation. This topic is so fascinating and important to me. And, you know, it's something, it, it's interesting in the last few years, of course, in music, after we lost Chester and Chris, both of whom were friends, it's something that became more common to talk about in music, certainly. But at the same time, you know, I want to go back to the Kevin Love thing and, you know, look in the idea of, you know, for you who has this voice and have been championing this and talking about this for years you know, talk about if there are ways or things that you think about using both arts and music to tie into bigger picture and make this more acceptable for people to talk about on a larger scale. Because, you know, that's one of the things that came up when I've talked with everyone from, you know, Travis Barker to, you know, Steve Aoki, all these people about it is it's something that affects everyone. And in arts, it's more acceptable at this point to talk about it because it, like you say, you go back from Vincent Van Gogh 
to Brian Wilson to, you know, whoever, they've struggled with it and have been open about it. But, you know, if you're a whatever, a teacher, for example, or a doctor, you know, people are going to be worried, well, wait, can you do this job or a pilot? So talk about, you know, I'm curious, you know, using your platform and, and, you know, because you have both arts and music, which have such a broad reach to be able to work with this and incorporate into a larger thing, because it is, you know, it's probably one of the most important topics in the world today. I mean, you know, and it's funny, I say that, but sorry, I was going to say, because then I was going to say along with gun violence, but then of course, if you deal with the mental health, maybe we don't have fucking mass shooting every fucking day. And, and you also will put a massive dent in drug abuse too, because um, you know, in the early days of my recovery, maybe 30 years ago, when I would go to 12 step groups, you know, and, and talk about addiction and alcoholism, they would say, you know, inevitably there would be somebody who would raise their hand and they would say, I just don't understand why I have this. Why me? Why did I get drug addiction? Why did I get alcoholism? And they, the answer used to be, it doesn't matter why, what matters is what are you going to do about it? And here's what you do about it. But the fact of the matter is what I've learned is that why is, is, is a massive component because usually, not always, but I would say the majority of the time there is some underlying trauma or underlying event uh, that has gone on that has caused someone to seek outside chemical uh, uh, ways in terms of, of feeling comfortable. You know, because a lot of people feel very uncomfortable in their bodies. And so that's why they turn to something to medicate themselves. But um, in terms of using music and art and using a a platform to uh, expand on this idea, you had a specific question. I'm not quite sure I understood what it was. Well, I I mean, yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, you know, talk about, I guess, you know, and, and maybe it's not something you've thought about. You know, it's just interesting to me as I'm because I'm kind of just thinking aloud as we're talking. But obviously, with this platform, I'm realizing that in the arts, it's much more acceptable to talk about this stuff than yeah. it is in other endeavors, whether yeah. it's sports or anything else. So, but I guess as I think about it now, I guess I suppose just by using the art and music and putting it out there, the idea is to make it more acceptable for other people to talk about it yes. in other ways. But I don't the- know. I guess maybe I'm thinking about if there are ways to tie it in with you know, other mental health advocates and other celebrities and in other worlds to sort of make it into a bigger picture. I'm absolutely certain there are other ways. Unfortunately, I'm not a lawyer or a doctor or I can't start a foundation based on, you know, uh, dentists who suffer from mental disorders. You know, I can only (laughs) come, I can only come from my own experience, you know, and that, and I think that's, that's also one of the vital things is that, uh, when it comes to recovery and working in recovery and trying to help people with recovery is to not speak on subjects you know nothing about. I don't have any experience in those areas. I have an experience in this area and I can share it. But I think when it comes to uh, the overall message, when you're talking about other areas and other, I guess, vocations or whatever, you know, the good news is that most people are either interested in art or music on some level, you know, now, whether it's the art and music we're serving up, that's not, you know, that's (laughs) not my, that's not my business, but by bringing in the arts, by bringing in the music, 
it is a lot larger of a platform than just me, single voice, Dave Navarro, raising his hand saying, you know, you guys aren't alone. I also suffer from these things. But to take it onto a massive stage is just that we reach out to that many more people. And, and like you said, it's one of the most important thing is just to at least say it's all right to have this conversation. It's all right to call somebody for help. In fact, we implore that you do. There's no need for anyone to have to sit alone and suffer. There's just not, you know, especially, you know, I got as many problems with the tech age as the next guy, but it has also allowed us to have information and resources available to us anytime we want. So in that sense, I think it's a wonderful tool. And so, um, you know, I would just implore people to look at foundations like the D.D. Hirsch uh, Suicide Prevention Hotline. The, 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 you know, the Music Cares has a great program. The Jed Foundation is a great program. There's a lot of great mental health services available out there. And we, uh, we encourage anybody to go to wherever they feel most comfortable and get to work, man, because we only have one shot at this life as far as we know. And uh, as soon as we stop breathing, all of our problems go away, right? So why not just let go of them now? And in fact, if you just let go of them now, you'll realize there's absolutely nothing to let go of. That's the craziest part of the whole thing is that, and myself included, we all hang on to things that hurt or that have been tough or whatever it's been, but why? It's in the past. Why am I still suffering over this thing? Maybe I can let it go. And then you realize, well, I'm letting go of something that already happened 10 years ago. That seems kind of crazy. And it just, once the, it's like Jenga blocks falling into place in the, in the, you know, in, in neuroplasticity of the brain. And if you can reroute some of the, uh, the neural pathways into having different, different solutions for you, which takes a lot of practice, there is hope. There's a lot of hope. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not pro medication. I'm not anti medication. I'm pro whatever works for the individual. You know, so I have no, like I said, I have no agenda in terms of what people do to, to heal. My goal is to say healing is possible and it can be fun and it can be kind of cool. And if you want to join us on this, on this mission in life to find some peace, come aboard and you don't have to buy anything. Just read the fucking manifesto and you're in, you know what I mean? Like that's. The, the price of membership for us is there is no price. You know, we also happen to sell uh, um, uh, apparel. But the thing about the apparel is, and this goes into my own mental illness, is that I have a very uh, weird condition. I don't, there's certain materials and fabrics that I just can't wear because I, I just, I, I don't know why. I've always been like that. So we went to painstaking. Uh, it was a painstaking process and we ended up weaving the fabric for these shirts ourselves. So they would be the softest, most comfortable thing that anybody's ever worn. Um, and all the, all of the writing that we do on the shirt is discharge. 
So you don't feel that plastic thing on your skin of the logo. Like, you know, when you get a cheap t-shirt and you can feel the writing on your skin, I can't have that, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is primarily why you'll, you'll usually see me in a black t-shirt or no shirt because uncomfortable fabrics, especially while performing is something that I can't, I just simply can't do. Um, and that's just been a lifelong thing. So I went, I went to great lengths to make this the most comfortable thing in the world. Cool. That actually feels like a good wrap up note. Anything you want to add? We didn't talk about. I don't think so. I, I, I appreciate you uh, following up with me. No, dude, this stuff's fascinating. And it's, I mean, it's not just fascinating. I mean, I don't mean to like say it fascinating as if it's, as if it's, you know, like, Oh, it's so dude, it's so important because like we talk, I mean, Chester and Chris were both friends, you know, and I mean, obviously being around music as I have been for 25 years, it's like, dude, you know? I, was at, I was at both of those funerals to be, yeah, I'm sure, to, be you know? to be at Chris's funeral and watch Chester singing Alleluia, the, the, um, the Jeff Buckley version, and then to attend his funeral a month later. Man, that had an incredible impact on me. And I think also probably, if I'm being honest, was a motivating factor in terms of what we're doing now. You know, I, I actually just recently played on the Grey Days, uh, a new Grey Days album that's coming out. And Grey Days, for those of you who don't know, is, was Chester's first band. And there uh, are a number of recordings that were unfinished from prior to Linkin Park. So that's coming out. So we still have new Chester Bennington music coming out. I just played on that uh, with the rest of the band. And uh, man, what a haunting moment that was to, to listen to my friend from beyond singing songs I'd never heard. It was, it, I got chills. It was pretty incredible. Yeah. Well, he was just also one of the, the coolest dudes in the world. Nicest, coolest dude. I mean, I've, I've done shows with him where he was singing and, the door to the dressing room would open and it would be Chester with the tray of cold cuts for the band because he was helping the, the person who worked at the venue load stuff into our dressing room. Like Chester was the guy who would help. Do you know what I mean? Chester was the guy that would, you know, just nothing but hard work, humility, kindness, work ethic, like, no one you've ever seen. I mean, it's just, he was an incredible man. And, and the fact that this got him, uh, it just breaks my heart because I don't even think he knew that when he was with us, he was surrounded by people who felt like he did or who had gone through things like he did. When we lost Chris, when we lost Chester, I broke down because I know for a fact what kind of pain that pain is. You know what I mean? And I also know that there's a way out. And I just wished that uh, I wished I had, I had been more vocal about this earlier, you know? Yeah. The unfortunate thing is though, I talked about this with Aoki and Travis afterwards and, you know, cause they had both worked with and And I actually, the long story short is I did a book with Lincoln Park back in 2004. So I went on the road with them. And after that, Chester and I became, you know, good friends. Like when they did the Dead by Sunrise stuff, he recorded in Long Beach. So I would hang out at the house. I did all the writing for that. So he was like a real friend. And the thing is, unfortunately, when people are going, there's, I mean, you can be as vocal as you want. It's just the last time I saw Chester, he and Fred Durst and I all hung out. It was at a recovery benefit. And Chester was the happiest dude in the world. He brought his puppies and mm -hmm. was just smiling and in a great place. And it's just like, you know, Fred and I are still friends and we talked about it. And there's, you know, I mean, 
no matter how much you try and beat yourself up over it, there's just nothing that, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't beat myself up over any of it. I just feel like had he known that he was not alone in such a, the proximity of how close he was to not being alone. Like, I'm not saying like, oh, there are others in the world that struggle. Like the guy to your right is struggling. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when we would, when we would play shows together, like he'd be singing, I'd be on his right. And I don't think he knew that I also was someone who had some mental health issues. And I would, I wished we could have bonded on that, but now the conversation has started and I'm all, you know, everybody knows. And, and, and I, I don't know, in a strange way, like if, if you can get your arms around it a little bit, like being crazy is kind of fun. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, you, you don't really have to worry about much else. It's kind of cool. <laughs> All right, dude, always a pleasure. And especially again, for this, this type of thing, that's so important to get out there for the world that, you know, I'm, I'm always glad to talk about this stuff. Thanks, Steve. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Dude, have a good one. Thanks. See you, you later. Too. Bye. See ya. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You've been listening to My Turning Point with special guest Dave Demorrow. Thanks. the American dream, the big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.